Howdy, y'all. It's Gimme the Creeps. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not in Texas anymore. I'm not allowed to say that. I don't. Were you allowed even before that? <gasps> How dare you? <laughs> Ooh. Yes. I, okay, I can I can bring it up. I found something to kind of piggyback off of your, um, well, we're recording it today, but this week's episode, so last week's episode, the um, Loma Alta episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, have you heard of the Texas Killing Fields? Oh my God, I looked those up last night because I was going to use it as the title and I was like, wait a minute, there's already something. Yeah, Yeah. Um, I was looking more into your story and I came across those and I was like, oh my gosh, 30 bodies, I have to, somebody has to cover this. Yes. Um, Because what if that happened in the 70s and the case you covered happened in 68? (gasps) And what if that was his first killing and then it just continued on and nobody ever found him or figured out who the hell. Dude. Because they said, uh, or you mentioned, this is not like a first timer or you know what I mean? Like it yeah. was way too brutal to have ended there yeah. or even even began there. But if you think about it, he just snapped. He, if you, you know, if he was shooting the squirrels or whatever, and then it just all popped off and escalated to that point. And then he was like, okay, I like doing this. I'm going to become a serial killer. Yeah. Intense. Yeah, that would be really fucking crazy if that were the same person. I have a feeling that a lot, just like, you know, when you realize a lot of um, brands that you like are owned by the same freaking company and it's it's making it seem like a variety. I have a feeling it's the same way with murders that are unsolved. It's just the same person. person. Or they maybe like changed up their killing style or their, you know how they do stuff and then we just think it's somebody else anyways we aren't necessarily covering murders this week i'm actually going to cover a triangle and you might think that it's the bermuda triangle but i found something way creepier that i think you guys will enjoy abby i'm so sorry i just (laughs) the way you say triangle (laughs) kills what did i say No, how do I say it? I know that everybody says words differently, but <laughs> is it's just triangle. Yeah, but you say triangle, say? triangle. Am I supposed to? Which one is it supposed to? I mean, it's. I mean, it's. It, the only reason why I tomato, tomato. Funny, yes, it's that's it. Sorry, yeah, the triangle. The, you can say it however you want. It just makes me laugh because the way it sounds whenever you say it. It sounds like you're like, it sounds like you can't like say the word. Like, it sounds like you're like eating it. Five years old. Maybe, maybe that's what it sounds like. I'm sorry, but continue, continue. Okay, yes, a triangle. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'm going to say it your way. Sorry, no, you don't have to. Just continue. (laughs) Just triangle. So it just takes so long. I know. I that's know. what I knew you were going to say, too. But go ahead. Say it however <laughs> way you need to say it. Whatever gets us through the day. Go ahead. <laughs> so you might think I'm talking about one geometric shape with three points. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about another one. And to be clear really quick, I'll go ahead and get this um, out of the way. At the time that this area was being studied, it... Um, the perimeter was in the shape of a triangle, 
but it's since extended beyond these boundaries, the um, incidents that I'm going to mention. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was just a quick way to kind of summarize what goes on in this area. So I'll just go ahead and, because I know that there's plenty more to talk about in this region. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So today I'll be covering a region known as the Bridgewater Triangle. Fantastic. I mainly used a documentary I watched on Amazon Prime called The Bridgewater Triangle. And I used atlasobscura.com, Boston Globe, and any other mentioned articles will be further down. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is a mix of a whole lot of different things. Uh, I'll just jump right in. In the southeastern Massachusetts region, there is... <laughs> wow, I am so corny. I put... Um, it sounds like heaven is what I said because it's full of creepy things that are just a variety of things. Oh my God. Of course, not the horrible history that occurred in order for it to exist as it does, but just the eerie energy that it envelopes. So as I said, let's jump in. Uh, Lauren Coleman, I'll mention him again later. He's a cryptozoologist and he wrote a book called Mysterious America in 1983. This, this region was, he named it. He coined the term Bridgewater Triangle. And like I mentioned, um, since this has come to light in all of the incidents and sightings and stuff have come to light, it's extended beyond these borders. But for now, we will just focus on the triangle itself and, and the interior of it. So um, it's a 200 square mile region, like I mentioned, in southeastern Massachusetts. And um, the history is extremely bloody. Framed by the three towns, Abington, Freetown and Rehoboth, the Bridgewater Triangle is notorious for dark happenings. Historians and others who investigate this region blame the mistreatment of Native Americans for the negative energy in the area today. And they even say it might be cursed. Mm -hmm. In New England in 1675, there were four colonies on the coast. The Massachusetts Bay Colony, Rhode Island Colony, Plymouth, and Connecticut Colony. The settlers shoved themselves right on land that was already lived on, as per usual, and the Plymouth colony was the first colony to have a, a rebellion erupt. Under Chief Metacomet, known to the English as King Philip, whitewashing as usual, mm -hmm. um, the uprising became known as King Philip's War. Natives attacked settlement, the settlement of Swansea, soon spreading through the other settlements within the colony Dartmouth, Rehoboth, Taunton, and Middlebrow. By that fall, the Rhode Island and Massachusetts Bay Colony also became part of the battle. On both sides, hundreds of innocents died brutal and bloody deaths. Native resistance began to fall to the British, and in August of 1676, Metacomet was hunted down and killed in present-day Bristol, Rhode Island, by one of the Native Americans. His body was given to the English, and his head was put on a pike in front of Fort Plymouth for 20 years. Oh, my God. I know it's it's extremely brutal, and you know, like the scalping and stuff. Mm -hmm. ugh, I just ugh, that period of time was just extremely bloody. So, <clears throat> five hundred English um, compared to the three thousand native Wampum, Wampanoag people. Wampanoag, Wampanoag. I have no idea. Five hundred English compared to the three thousand native Wampanoag people were killed by the end. Any surviving non-Christianized um, Native Americans were taken and sold to slavery in the West Indies. 5% of New England's population was wiped out. 
Due to the devastation and violence, historians who believe in the paranormal believe that the Native Americans placed a curse on the region. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the background of the area. So the first main topic, or, you know, location slash landmark, the Hockamock Swamp. Ooh, I like that word. I know, isn't it cool? Mm-hmm. Hockamock Swamp. During the time period of the colonization, the swamp was used as a hiding place during raids against English soldiers. It's an extremely active site in the Bridgewater Triangle. The swamp spans across the northern part of the southeast of southeastern Massachusetts, across the Bridgewater, Easton, Norton, Raynham, Taunton, and West Bridgewater municipalities. It's 16,950 acres and is considered the largest freshwater swamp in the state. It's the epicenter of the Bridgewater Triangle. It serves as an important water source with some endangered species that cannot live anywhere else. Its name is translated from Algonquian language, meaning place where spirits dwell. So the swamp itself is actually, it used to be a glacier. Um, It was created by a glacier which is super exciting because that's historical all in itself, how the how landmarks can just recycle themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just anyways. This land used to be used for fishing and hunting before it was used in raids while it was a swamp. Reports say that you feel like you're being watched. And cryptozoologists love this spot. Of course. Because ape-like bipeds, mm-hmm. large birds, huge snakes Red-eyed dogs and large cats are the focus of research for these cryptozoologists um, that are studying this area. Can you believe that? All those I knew things? I knew it was going to end up having to do with Bigfoot of some sort. Oh, you will see. It is much more. In his 1983 book, Mysterious America, crypto- cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman dubbed the area the Bridgewater Triangle after noticing the consistent incidents in the region. He read all the creature sighting reports and mapped the incidents out. He has been researching his field since 1960. So I guess for 20 years he was studying Massachusetts and then just started mapping everything out and that's how it made sense. Um, He had been all around the world but felt he was being pulled towards Massachusetts before he wrote Mysterious America. The most seen cryptid is Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Or or a Bigfoot-like creature. I, I I feel like every state that has a some kind of ape-like cryptid has its own name for whatever mm, it is mm-hmm. but he referred to it as bigfoot a police officer reported that the bigfoot-like creature lifted up the back of his cruiser while he was on duty what in 1970 as a boy carlton wood was out exploring with friends someone started to scream and another boy pointed out a large hairy man they all claim they saw it. Clay Banks 1 and Clay Banks 2 are hotspots for the sightings. I'm going to post a map on our Instagram also so that these locations make sense. Joseph DeAndre gets credit for his research that most closely followed the area and documented incidents chronologically. He had founded the Bridgewater Triangle investigation team, but it disbanded a little bit down the road. Gigantic raptors known as thunderbirds have been reported. In 1971, police sergeant Thomas Downey in Norton saw a bird with a six-foot body and a 12-foot wingspan over the Winter Street in Mansfield, west of the Hockamock Swamp. He saw it take off and its size, but refused to be interviewed in the encounter following the sighting. Did it have feathers? I'm not sure. I there are dra- the drawings that uh, they depict. 
have feathers and stuff, so it just looked like a giant bird, but I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Funnily enough, that area is called Bird Hill, but I'm not sure if it has to do with the sightings. And apparently, this alleged cryptid sightings took place around the same time that Mothman was uh, buzzing around. Oh. So there's another instance where it could have been uh, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Large snakes are uncommon in the eastern United States. During the Depression, the CCC saw snakes as large as stovepipes. They would run out of the swamp screaming about snakes. Okay. They were, I guess, down in the sewage. Sewer? That's what the CCC does, right? I don't even know what that is. I think they were down doing investigations and then... But I mean, there's big snakes everywhere, so I mean... No, like large. Like a stovepipe-sized snake is as big as like a washing machine. What? Like... Like the like they were like huge. They were um, what am what am I trying to compare it to? Like not it was like I'm thinking of like big like anaconda big. No, bigger than that. Like oh, super shit. huge. Like their heads were as big as your body. Oh no! So they're just like under there hiding. It's the basilisk from Harry Potter. Oh, it's funny that you mentioned Harry Potter. You're gonna get excited later. Oh, <clears throat> So, huge snakes, Bigfoot, uh, Thunderbirds, and now in 1993, a series of reports came out which described sightings of a light tan cat about the size of a Great Dane. It was called the Mansfield Mystery Cat. Easton and Mansfield were the stomping grounds for this mountain lion-like cat. However, it was never captured. Yellow and black cats were also seen around the same time. Some believed it was an escaped zoo animal or an escaped pet. Um, And in May of 1993, the headless carcass of an African serval was found near the Easton Rayham town line. And it was 30 pounds. A serval is a certain species of cat so was it were they saying that was what it was or they're not sure i mean if more than one but that's the thing like you know you can't always rely on people what they see like what color was it how big was it so it might have been that cat or it might have been something else the the common thing going on here is that there's just so many strange shit going on like things going on without being found alive or whatever right or like evidence being found Mm -hmm. So the dogs said to wander the communities surrounding the Hockamock Swamp have red eyes, apparently. And in 1976, an Abington resident, Philip Kane, saw a dog rip open the throats of his two ponies. He shot. Yeah, he watched in horror. As, and apparently the dog was as large as the ponies. So they had no chance. What the fuck? And they were tied up also outside his home. Ooh. So they could get away (gasps) right Mm -hmm. um he shot at the dog but it missed and the dog got away and for three days there were intense hunts conducted to try and find this giant killer dog and it was said that the dog was as big as the ponies which i already freaking said if the dog is as big as the ponies why the fuck would you think it's a dog that's big it's like he was just he like shot at it and it got away which i the part of it getting away is the scariest Mm. part of it i think um 1990, William Rousseau lived in Rainham. He was walking his dog around midnight after he got off work. Instead of his usual route, they walked along the night tees of the high-tension wires behind the neighborhood. He stopped about a mile down near an old water wheel, 
Sam, his dog, started trembling and pulling the leash. There was a street light on that was casting a light on about a 10-foot radius. He heard a high-pitched wail that sounded like Iwachu. Oh, he my saw God. Something- I've heard this what? story before. That's so weird. I was just thinking about it. Oh, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. There's no, name for the- There's no name for this creature yet, but there are some speculations. Um, Continue. So, Iwachu. He saw something walk walking upright towards him into the street lamp light. No clothing, but covered in short hair-like fur, with the face of a chipmunk about four feet tall. He said at first he thought it was a child, but its face looked aged. It wouldn't advance towards him, but it was beckoning to him. He was scared frozen, and so was the dog. They went home, and he couldn't let it go. He finally realized what it might have been, saying, uh, We want you. Mm. He mm. has since gone back and never saw the creature again. That was 20 years ago when it happened and he started opening about it just re- opening up about it just recently. That reminds me of did I ever tell you Tony's story? He told me a story. Did I, I told him to tell you of the where Furry you, little things? Yes. Yes, dude. God. They were like rolling up the hill while they were chilling outside. Yeah, and he the dogs, they never saw those dogs that were with them ever again. After that Ooh. night. I liked that story. It was interesting. Yeah, he should he should submit a listener story. Tony, I was just about to say that. I'm gonna tell him. (laughs) Okay, it's two. All right. So, like I said, there's no name for that creature. That's the only instance he and it was under the street lamp. So he gave a detailed description, and an artist created what he saw. So I will also post that. There's gonna be a lot of posts this week. So buckle up, guys. Um, so a number of disappearances have taken place in the swamp. Evelyn E. Packard in 1916 intended to take a canoe trip down the town river in the swamp. When she was found, her body was near what they call solitude rock. The rock has a poem etched into it and it is said to be 150 years old. So the significance basically is... That this rock has a poem. I will pull up the poem right now. Talk about it. All ye who in future days walk by Nucatesset stream, love not him who hummed his lay, cheerful to the parting beam, but the beauty that he wooed in this quiet solitude. What does that even mean? Nobody knows. Mysterious, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, um... The base of a wooden bridge is hidden, the solitude stone. Lost for nearly a century beneath moss and overgrowth, the stone bears a 150-year-old inscription thought to be carved by the Reverend Timothy Otis Payne of the New Church of Jerusalem, a Christian sect founded on the principles of the occultist Emanuel Swedenborg, who, whose philosophies purportedly influenced Freemasonry. In this doctrine of correspondences, Swedenborg asserted that the physical world was the result of spiritual causes and the laws of nature, reflections of spiritual laws. The mysterious inscription reads, and I read it. So, um, creepy, right? Yeah, that is really creepy. Um, and I used uh, Atlas Obscura, as I mentioned before, and the the etching is is nicely done. So I will be posting a picture of that as well. It's very strange. Um, I unfortunately did not look into her murder per se because I was focused on the region. Oh God. 
because I have a lot to cover. Um, so I did not look into her murder. I'm assuming that it's still unsolved because a lot of these are unsolved and it was so long ago in 1916. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, if I have time at the end, I will look that up for y'all. But so Evelyn E. Packard, rest in peace. Um, and Solitude Rock, we just covered. So Lake Nippon Nicket is another hotspot for Bigfoot sightings. And the sounds coming from this location are apparently creepy monkey sounds. What? This is bizarre. Get ready for this. So this lake um, has an island where strange calls can be heard. And by canoe, people say they see groups of orangutan-looking creatures with red or orange fur. Um, a woman was parked, saw a phantom fire. She had gone to where it appeared to be burning, but nothing was there. No ash, no footprints, no smoke, no anything. What the fuck? When she returned to her car across the lake, the fire was burning bright again. So, yeah, um, there's been more than one instance of phantom fires appearing to be burning, which is very, very... Native American yeah. paranormal, I feel like, to get their attention or just, you know, they're going about their day-to-day with a fire burning or, you know, anyone for that matter. Yeah. I'm just thinking it's an entity of some kind that's just, you know, lighting a fire. And what was it uh, called again? What was this place called? This location is called Lake Nippin Nicket. Mm-hmm. So we went from the Hockamock Swamp to um, an area, a neighborhood behind a, I think it was Raynham. Yeah. Random. So it's that place was around Hockamock Swamp. Like I said, I'll, I'll uh, post a map with all the listed locations out. Um, so then we went to Solitude Stone, and now we are at Lake Nippinicket, which is very, just a very strange place. So uh, along with the Phantom Fires, um, it's a popular spot at the Hockamock Swamp has served the site for numerous boating accidents and drownings, and the lake only reaches eight feet deep. What so people heck? people be drowning and crashing and stuff out there on top of those phantom fires. Interesting. Um, the Raynham Taunton dog track nearby has paranormal activity going on as well. Spooky spook lights are seen <laughs> spook lights are seen moving down the railroad tracks. Um, over the years, different groups have referred to the glowing orbs as different things. The Irish refer to the lights has something similar as Willow Willow of the Wisp or Will of the Wisp. Oh my god, it's from Brave. I haven't seen Brave. I'm sorry, what? I haven't seen Brave. You have Disney Plus and you have not seen Brave. I'm putting it off because I know it's gonna make me cry. Oh, it has like a mother daughter yes, situation it's going make on. You ugly fucking cry because it makes me Great. ugly cry every time. But the Will of the Wisp are in there. Wow. We're just making all kinds of connections today. So, Will of the Wisp. Um, but the Wampanoag, um, Wampanoag, dang it, I hate that I don't know. Wampanoag believe that the small creatures called pug what, pug what, wedgies. Pug wedgies. Oh, I love that. That turn that into balls of light. Um, just wait. I'm going to bring them up again later. They have their own, their own little uh, ditty. So, Oh, you said Diddy last week, I didn't did. you? I did, and that's what got us. And then we started thing. singing that. Okay, here we go. <laughs> James Michael Rice is an author and teacher who grew up in the Elm Street section of Bridgewater. When he was younger, he was with friends on a bridge. One of them noticed that they thought what they thought was a canoe with a lantern coming toward them. As it got closer, they saw that they were just balls of colored light. 
They seemed to move with purpose and wanted to be seen. Others report a strange mist that suddenly will appear and disappear. Hmm. Um, so spooky stuff. Spooky. But you ain't ready for this. UFO sightings top the list of the unexplained that occur here. UFOs too? Jesus. Yes. I'm telling you, this is literally heaven. If anybody ever wanted to become a cryptozoologist or some kind of a paranormal researcher, this would be the spot to go because it's just so everything's close by and just bizarre happenings everywhere. I had to look up the word bizarrity. Mm -hmm. Bizarreties, because I thought that was a word, but I guess it's not necessarily mm -hmm. considered a word. So, in 1908, a well documented sighting occurred. Two carriages riding under under stalkers. What the? Why did I try to write that? What does that mean? Report seeing an unusual a girl. What the heck You're was I typing? I don't know, but that's my <laughs> best work usually. <laughs> Two carriages riding under something report seeing an unusually bright lantern in the skies above. The 70s had the most sightings, though, with 1979 having the most documented sightings of large and low-flying UFOs, which are freaking yeah. scary. Two radio show hosts saw a light over the tree line as they drove. They pulled over, and the bright light was coming closer and getting larger and larger. An arrow-shaped Almost home plate looking object with sparks coming off of it flew above them. Um, one of the hosts mentioned the saucer wasn't a military vessel from the U.S. He had been in the military for four years at that point and was pretty familiar with military aircraft. They decided to report to the Enterprise newspaper, and it turns out others in that very same area had seen the same thing. What the fuck? So reports came in from all over, mm -hmm. or, you know, from that area. Um in 2011, Derek Holt caught the in, the UFO on film, and the footage shows other unknown lights appearing to bring in the mothership. Look like they're like right. coordinating mm -hmm. together. And that's in 2011. That's not well, too that's long like ago. those videos that the Pentagon posted of their UFO shit. And we're like, mm -hmm. we've been known. I mean, I'm sure they knew longer, way longer than that. But <laughs> oh, I mean, I would hope so because that's mm -hmm. their job. But. <laughs> Four locations are haunted with paranormal activity. So 12 miles southwest of the Hockamock Swamp and at the bottom of the triangle is the first location for haunting sounds. Haunting sounds. I guess that's what I wrote. Within a thousand feet of a water source, it's likely that Native Americans once lived on that space. In 1928, Brown professor Edmund Delabar led an archaeologist archaeological expedition to Grassy Island along the Taunton River where they discovered a burial ground. Mm -hmm. Creepy. Some say that the film used during the expedition failed to develop. Writings mentioned opening graves and seeing red ochre escape like mist. So um, that's like a spice. I believe. Red ochre? Um, and they would, they would, yeah, they would put it uh, in the graves. So when people opened the graves to, you know, kind of study the bodies and, you know, see how they live, that's usually what ar archaeologists do. They study human life based on any uh -huh. remains they find and stuff like that. Like, what did they eat? Mm -hmm. What did they, you know, but when they opened in, they, it was kind of a, an eerie, I'm going to define what ochre is. Um, it's a natural clay earth pigment, which is a mixture of ferric oxide and varying amounts of clay and sand. It ranges in color from yellow to deep orange or brown. It's also the name 
the colors produced by this pigment, especially a light brownish. So they were buried in this or that was thrown in there with them? I think it was just thrown in there. It might have been like a spiritual um, death Like they put it at the situation. top after they say a couple words and they just scatter that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think so. So um, that's that. And then Dayton Rock was lifted out of the water and it has etchings on it. There are theories that either Native American, Portuguese, or other peoples carved into the rock. And it's unknown for sure who carved the messages. And now I will go to the website that I had to read from it. So this rock, people of unknown origin carved figures of people, animals, and symbols into the flat side of this trapezoidal boulder, roughly the size of a small Volkswagen. The origin and meaning of the markings has been the subject of debate for centuries, with theorists attributing the petroglyphs to peoples as various as ancient Native Americans, Phoenicians, Norse, colonial Portuguese, and even medieval Chinese sailors. In the 1950s, the stone was removed from the river by crane and deposited onto the shore where a museum was built up around it. Today, a small but knowledgeable fellowship of local citizens run the museum and even organize lectures exploring the history of the area and theories surrounding the stone and the markings. Interesting. So, um, it's just very old and nobody knows mm. what the heck. And I will also post a picture of that. Um, the symbols do not speak to us much, offers Miss Peters. Um, she's one of the people who do museum things. And by we, I mean our tribe and other native people. We do not, we do have petroglyphs in our culture, but the symbols here are not familiar. Figural representation in Wampanoag art, like the human forms depicted on the stone, were especially uncommon. The people, she says, did not put themselves above other things. Hmm. Interesting. And once again, that is from Atlas Obscura. There's more on the rock, but I, believe it or not, have more to mm -hmm. cover, so left it at that. The, okay, this is where it gets really cool. In Freetown, there's another popular rock. It's a glacial formation possessing the profile of a face. Ooh. Profile of rock is in the Freetown Fall River State Park. It's said that it's, silhouette, it's a silhouette of a Native American, which causes it to feel like a sacred place for the Wampanoag peoples. Abington also has a profile rock, a handprint rock, and a face carving in Middleborough. Middlebrow, I think is what I meant to say, and perched rocks in Taunton and Lakeville. So there are many landmarks and formations to look at in those which is just so, I don't know, just the fact that it's all in one region just is kind of freaky, yeah. but also really cool. Anawan Rock in Rehoboth is the fourth location. Two weeks after the capture of Chief Metacomet, Captain Benjamin Church searched Anawan Rock for any resistors left in the area. Church and his group tracked the natives all the way to the Anawan Rock where they peacefully surrendered in August, on August of August 28th of 1676, and that was the official end of King Philip's War. The name of the rock was, uh, it was named after Chief Anawan, who led the last group. It was, he was a loyal leader next to Metacomet, and they say that you can hear the Algonquian language being spoken, drums beating, and phantom fires burning, um, are burning, and even the spirit of an old Native American man sitting on a rock. Ooh. So what do you think so far? I love it. I like all the weird shit that happens there. Like, 
I would really want to go and just be able to witness something happen. I mean, maybe not like a creature come out at me, but I would like to right. like hear something. I don't I don't know. I agree. That well, I mean, in general, the eastern United States, because of its history, has so much going on. Um, so I would also like to go visit and see something. And from what I'm reading, all the sightings and stuff, it seems like they're not out to hurt anyone, what, whatever cryptid or paranormal activity is happening. It just seems like it wants to be seen or it's just going on in, yeah. in the background. And you either see it or you don't. It doesn't really hurt you from what well, I can tell. Well, I do want to go to Salem next year, remember? <gasps> yes, I told Hunter that too, that I would really love to go to Salem. To go drive through there i would love to the messed up part about the surrender of the left of the left the group that was left on anawan rock was that the captain captain church had promised freedom um to them and it still ended with anawan's head on a pike for 20 years and the sacred wampum belt that anawan was wearing to be taken and the belt held the imagery of their people's history and it was um Never seen again after that day. Oh, that sucks. So they believe, at this point in the documentary, because I'm basically, um, I watched the documentary and typed up as it was, as I was watching, I watched it two or three times. It's pretty good if you guys are interested with all this stuff that's going on. Um, and also there's extra behind the scenes or cut out footage of interviews and stuff um, on YouTube um, by the same people, the Bridgewater Triangle what was channel. What on that you watched the documentary <clears throat> Amazon Prime. Yes. There's more on there. Like, I watched the Missing 411, the first one, and now they have the Missing 411 Hunters. Like, it's where people went hunting and they never came back, and it's mysterious and weird. I'm going to watch that one next, and maybe I'll do, like, a combo on those two. I won't watch it. I won't watch it so that I'll be surprised whenever you're saying whatever happened. Oh, either way, it's up to you. So... Um, so, okay, so at this point in the documentary, as I was saying, the mention of the wampum belt by the person being interviewed caused the light to go off that they were filming with. And, um, and the guy, he acted normal because he thought that the people operating, like the crew, had turned off the light because it was over, you know, because he literally said, we feel as though the unrest won't stop until the wampum belt is returned. And then the light just turns off mm -hmm. right above him. They're outside. They're in the forest while he's being interviewed. So it's like dark and he acted normal. So I was like, okay, they, they just left in this scene. It's a little bit extended beyond mm -hmm. what, it, what they meant to be. But then the guys behind the camera are like, uh, the, the light just shut off right after you said that. And he was like, Oh really? You, you guys didn't do that. And they were straight mm -hmm. like freak out and like laugh and nervous laugh and stuff. So I thought that was neat. Um, yeah. unplanned hauntings. And it happened more than once during that whole little scene. Um, I think the guy was like, I don't know where the walt the wampum belt is or else I'd return it. And then the light went down, went down again. <clears throat> so here's another one. And there will be occasions. I believe there's two occasions where it feels like this is an urban legend that either came from something else. It might not be connected to this sighting whatsoever, but um, the redheaded hitchhiker of Route 44 oh. is the next haunting that I'm going to discuss. Along Highway Route 44, firsthand accounts 
um, say that they saw the reflection of a man across the windshield of their car as they drove who appeared to be a, a large, burly, red-haired man with a beard. Mm-hmm. And they all say the same thing whenever they, they see him on that Route 44. It's a red-headed big man who has a beard. Um, so sometimes he'll appear in the seat behind you and you'll see him in your rear view and you pull over. Sometimes he'll be the passenger. Sometimes he'll be a hitchhiker and you pull over and let him in your car and then he just disappears. So he'll either be in your car unknowingly or knowingly yeah, and then never just mind. be We're a not ghost. Driving so. through there cool. all of that. I don't need no Paul Bunyan ass looking motherfucker in my car. Right? I mean, we're already scared that a real person will just be in our car when we get into yeah, it. Yeah, that's exactly every time I leave your house. You're like, I know, you would always look behind, you'd put your your light from your phone and be like, is anybody in, waiting for me in the car? Uh, it's a common uh, fear, and it's also a common, the hitchhiking legends are common. So like I said, they they say these things for this region specifically, but it could just be an urban legend that uh, made its way there. And this entity just falls into that kind of same hitchhiker uh, urban legend. So the village cemetery in Rehoboth holds a ghost boy who seems sinister, a woman in white levitating over the stones and a man who appears to be real, except for his 19th century attire. Oh, no. Right. I mean, it is a cemetery. Like what can you expect? But um, apparently this last ghost that I mentioned from with the 19th century attire, he pounds on the ground in anger whenever people mm-hmm, see him. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I don't know what he's upset about or what, but I would be like, <laughs> okay, um, red flag. He's one of those, you know, chads that punches the wall whenever <laughs> they get mad. What could he possibly – I mean, well, if there was a, a lot of things going on. dead. Ooh, that'd be or horrible to like, find this out. Is not the fucking spot that I paid for. <laughs> oh right, they did. They didn't listen to my um, yeah. final wishes. Well, that's what happens whenever you choose to stay and be angry. You're stuck there forever, pounding the ground. That's gonna Absolutely be us. Not. Oh yeah, you were no, like, I don't want to be a ghost. Be no damn ghost. I've been on this. For true i don't either if anything i would want to because i'm petty and i would want to prove to non-believers that they're real and then with your life you're trying and then just spend my yeah. whole life every time someone comes into the haunted the place i'm haunting and they see me and stuff i'm like now what i could just get with bored of scaring luck, people you wouldn't have or, like enough energy built up to be able to manifest yourself so you're it would yeah, just be frustration just, for the eternal frustration constantly trying to just bring this energy about and but by the time they walk through the room you barely do it and it's already too late (laughs) nobody ever knows that you exist wait yeah that's so depressing okay i don't want to be a ghost never mind another entity in the cemetery is a sort of vapor that floats about the cemetery Mm -hmm. and that's that so Three ghosts and a vapor. Palmer River. (laughs) What did you? What did you just say? Three ghosts and a vape. That sounds like a flavor of something. That's hilarious. Yeah. Vape juice. Don't even get me started on that. Everybody vapes in this household except for me. So there's there's a ton of. I'm looking at a cherry cola juice, a snow globe juice. 
and an actual vape. Let me hit this. What does this taste like? Oh, I don't oh. like the flavors. I think this, the cola one is good. Oh, I never do that correctly. And also I get like a raspy mouth whenever I try vaping. Maybe I'm doing it. Yeah, it hurts. It's too much. Well, apparently you're not even supposed to hold it in at all because that's bad for you. You just like, as soon as you take it in, the nicotine does its job. You don't even have to inhale it all the way into your lungs. Oh, is that why they blow out huge ass? Yeah, exactly. You're supposed to just kind of taste it and it does its job. And even what you blow out doesn't have any anything in it. It's just literally well, then water I'm vapor. Well, then i wrong every time I've tried it. <laughs> I thought I was just allergic. I know I'm doing it wrong. I choke really hard. Like it's, it just hits. Yeah, hard. so do I. But that's because of all the cigarettes that I smoked. I'm used to like inhaling that shit. Yeah, that's what they were telling me about inhaling. I was like, okay, fine. Then take this back and don't make me hit it ever again. <laughs> <clears throat> they don't even peer pressure me. I'm, it's like literally those memes. That's like nobody. And then yeah. like, okay, I'll try mm -hmm. it. Me. Um, for the flavors. Ooh, I like the flavors. Okay. So, Palmer River Burial Ground has floating lights and a colonial soldier ghost. And uh, there were some EVPs that were played that were super scary on that documentary. Ooh. Of one, there was, okay, and I like the EVPs that aren't planned. So, these EVPs that are on this documentary are literally the woman investigator, I'm so sorry, I forgot her name, she is speaking to the homeowner or the person that's giving the tour of the area. And she says, I smell perfume. It smells like roses. And she's like, the only candle that you have in here is a grapefruit candle. And while this conversation is having is taking place, you hear, um, if this is the correct EVP that I'm thinking of, you hear a woman start singing over her oh, conversation and it keeps going. So it's not like they heard it in real time, but when they listened back, they, I'm sure they freaking yeah, freaked the fuck weird. out. Uh, it was really creepy. And then um, another of a man, there was another EVP. I don't want to ruin it for y'all if y'all want to check out the documentary, but the EVPs were taken and they were put in the documentary. The Shad Factory Pond had a fire in 1884 where the factory that distributed cotton and yarn burned down and apparently ghosts hang out in that area. Um, the Hornbine School built in the 1840s and remained a schoolhouse until the until 1937 is still there, and it's a museum now. However, it is freaking haunted. Um, with the shutters open, a class can be seen being taught by a teacher, and it's a regular looking classroom setting until it just fades that away. Is so weird, how that like imprint in time just stayed. Mm hmm. Just keeps yeah, going on a loop, probably. Sad. And the woman, the woman who witnessed that. She was, she tried to enter the museum because it's a museum, like I said. She tried to enter and she's like, oh, it must be closed. But she walked along the side of the building, looked into the window and saw this class going on. And she thought it was like a reenactment because they were all, you know, dressed mm -hmm. in the time periods, clothing, etc. And she stood there for a, like a, for a while, not too, too long, but long enough for the teacher to look up at her and look Fuck kind of annoyed. all of that. Dude, right? And so... The woman, I think she either looked away or she walked back to the front door expecting to be let in. But when she walked back to the side, it was an oh empty my classroom. God, I would have shut myself. I would have. I know. Stuff like that is crazy. The fact that she made Dude, eye contact. That is stop the it. most terrifying story. 
they usually yeah, don't exactly. interact Whenever, with you. No, no. When they see you, do you think do you think the teacher got more scared than the woman well, did about that you realize they disappeared? Scares me. Like, can they actually see you too? Like, the that is like, are right. are they just happening to be looking over there, or can they actually mm-hmm. see you? Like, <sighs> exactly. It's like they stumbled upon one another. It's like one of those um, the others situations. Nicole Kidman. Yes, God, I love that movie. Me too. It gets me every time. Yeah. Still, just as scary. <clears throat> so, back to the top of the region of the triangle is East Bridgewater, which holds hauntings of its own. Just south of the triangle frame in Dartmouth lies a road legend, another one. The mad trucker of Copacut Road is a legend of a driver speeding up and flashing its lights right behind you, possibly running you off the road. Oh, fuck no. Dude, I know. I'm already scared as fuck to be driving with assertive drivers, not even aggressive drivers. (laughs) I'm like, I'm just like, fit in with everyone else. Fit in with everyone else. Chug along. Um... Freetown Fall River Forest is a thousand acres, 10,000 acres of scary vibes is what I wrote. This area has been home to the most criminal activity in the entire Bridgewater Triangle. What happened? During the 70s through the 90s, evidence of a satanic cult, Alan Alves was a detective who followed these reports where animal bones and dead animals were found. So he mostly was... um, it was for animal cruelty is what his, his department, not his department, but his main role was trying to figure out what the hell was happening with all the animal cruelty situations. Um, Cause they would just stumble upon animal bones and dead animals and it just did not look natural. Mm-hmm. And there were symbols and words written. So they knew it had to do with like, like activity, but they could never find out who was doing these um, killings mm-hmm. of these animals. Rumors of child molestation also came about on top of the animal uh, ritualistic killings. He patrolled state forests and came across robed individuals and investigated the animal cruelty. Um, so I don't know if he, ca- I, it literally in the documentary, I don't recall that he spoke to any of these robed individuals, but he did see them. Rituals were happening constantly in the forest. And in October of 1979, Fall River the city that homes the Lizzie Borden murder trial. Mm. Remains of Doreen Levesque were found at the Demon Demon Diamond mm-hmm. High School. Her body was found bound behind some bleachers. Her skull had been crushed and she had been sexually abused. Fuck. Three months later, the remains of Barbara Ann Raposa were found in the forest behind a printing plant. Her hands were also tied and her skull was crushed as well. Both women were known sex workers in the area, and it came to light that a sex worker ring was taking part in cult rituals in the area. In November of 1979, law enforcement was given a heads up by some sex workers that the satanic cult were conducting rituals in the Freetown Fall Forest and a housing project. Two officials went to these rituals undercover where they found that 17-year-old Robin Murphy and 25-year-old Carl Drew were leading the followers. And after that, the officer interviewed a sex worker named Karen Mardson, who told them that the two women slain were killed by Carl and Robin during a ritual. Weeks later, when Karen was due for a follow-up interview, she didn't show up. Months after that, her skull 
along with a couple pieces of her hair and sheep bones and cat skulls, was found at a family beach in Westport, Massachusetts. What the fuck? I guess for being an informant or something. Murphy and Drew were arrested in relation to the murders in 1980. Murphy pled guilty to the to second-degree murder of Martin in exchange for a shorter sentence with the possibility of parole, and she agreed to testify against Drew. In 1982, Drew was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Did they say why they did it? Uh, nope. They did not. It was just for their rituals. I'm assuming they. I'm assuming they finally pled because if she pled guilty, then he was he was guilty because she testified against him and and told them what they had been doing that they were the leaders of their little group and sex workers were involved and then they would kill some of them. I just messed up. Like why would they be? There there is definitely more. Like I said, there's definitely more to this. Uh, stuff I just mostly right, right. followed the documentary and packed in it packed in as much as it could but like I said there's definitely more these are individual stories on their own like each one of these things could be a, a whole episode on its own so at the end if you have any questions I will okay. gladly like look it up um because yeah it's weird I want to know the details too I'm surprised they even went into the trial yeah. stuff for this um um, so the rituals continued after their imprisonment and grave robbing began in the late 1980s in remote sections of the state forest. The remains were taken whenever they were opened up and everything. So uh, this also has to do with rituals and cult-like activity. They, they say satanic throughout the, the whole mm-hmm. documentary. So I'm assuming there, I mean, it's a lot of satanic like symbols and stuff, but like I, I hate always de- demonizing certain groups but in this case they were satanic and it was evil stuff that they were doing crypts and mausoleums were also broken into and removed and a skull was removed from a woman's body but they hid it in bushes nearby due to the smell so these kids didn't know what they were doing three juveniles had stolen it to become initiated into the cult i just don't understand what i don't know right the dead the messing. I mean, I, I can I can get why, but they're children. Like, do they they don't? I know. I mean, if there's not much yeah, else to do, but that they're blaming it on this like cult. It's, it's just a bunch of fucking children that are like, hey, let's. What if it was right? Let's go fuck with Could a be. dead body. I'll post some of the pictures of the plate, the left, like the, what am I thinking of? The ritual sites so you can see what they were doing. So an animal rescue league in the area provided a cemetery for euthanized pets. It had to be shut down due to individuals robbing animal remains for ritualistic use. Fuckers. God damn. I know. And they even had little stones and stuff. It was literally like a little pet cemetery, but not in a creepy way. So they started robbing animals, and so they had to shut down their little cemetery. A hunter discovered an underground bunker. It was so creepy when I saw this part. I was like, mm-hmm. um, hello. Dolls and a small chair with bindings were found in it, and it appeared to be used for child abduction or child abuse that was rit- ritualistic. What the fuck? A hut was also found with ritual materials inside, and it was super eerie to just, like, stumble yeah. upon. I bet it was weird to stumble upon. Um, that gives me very like lovely bones yeah, feel. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Cause that, 
I'm not going to call it like smart, but like that's fucked up. Like they cannot find you if you're underneath yeah, dude, the freaking that movie ground. Fucked me up. Good lord. That movie was so sad. I was I was like, why did this have to It was more I don't know how to explain it, but it was very um it got yeah. to you if you yeah. like saw that movie. The whole scene where he takes her down there and you're just like really scared. It's just ugh, yeah. it just grosses me out. Anyways. So, in 1999, a dozen calves were found mutilated in the forest, and there was no blood in their bodies. Right? It was the last known instance of satanic ritual sacrifice in the forest, so they say. This could have been its own thing. Could have been aliens. I mean, so, but whatever. Uh, But it was like a bunch of them, and they were small. Anyways, okay, so... In 1978, the remains of 15-year-old Ranham resident Mary Lou Arruda was found tied to a tree. She had been riding her bike when she was abducted. She had been alive when she was tied to the tree in the standing position. Although unrelated to the satanic activity, her body was found nearby where it was taking place. James Cater was tried and convicted and got life in prison. What the fuck? So that was solved. But the fact that it was like right near all that stuff freaked people out too. All these killings. Um, in 1987, a drifter was shot in the forest, accused of being a police informant. And in 2001, two men were found shot in a car. Um, and in 2006, there was a random abundance of dogs set loose in the for- set loose in the forest. Um, and they were in random states of aggression when they were found. What the fuck? Um, and also, an emu was seen wandering through the forest. So, is there like a gas leak in that area? Are people like losing their minds? Girl, I don't know. I don't know where these animals are just coming from, what they are. Maybe the aliens have like their own plan going on. They're doing social Maybe experiments like, or something. Uh, there's like a rip in in the space time continuum, and like these, all these things are like all these animals are like coming from one part of the world into this. Random spot. Yeah. <gasps> Far out. Like waltzing through like their own little environment and then all of a sudden they just walk through this rip and end up disappear. In oh my gosh. You know what? That makes so much sense because I'm not hearing anything being found about any remains or you know, fecal material if these animals exist mm-hmm. or you know what I'm saying? Like there's usually like traces of stuff. But yeah, what if that happens with like all these other cryptids too? They're from like a different dimension, but yeah. they just dip in and out. And like, Girl, yeah, like what, that's that's a thing that could happen. Anything's possible if you mm-hmm. just believe. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah. So crime up until the two thousands, two thousand six, was weird. And um, yeah, you're not allowed to just let dogs loose in places like what the hell. So. Here we go, the puck wedgies. They are three feet tall, creatures of Native American legend that predate the colonization. They are mischievous, but sometimes evil. They possess humanistic features with long noses, fingers, and ears, and they can glow in the dark and make themselves disappear. Yeah. The creatures also control orbs of light called Taipei Wankas and sometimes use them to lure people in. They can sometimes be helpful to humans or mischievous or even deadly, like I mentioned. Um, They're known for, like, trying to lead you into a sabotaging situation. So I'm like, what the fuck? Um, And when I looked these up, they apparently are 
part of the yes, Harry Potter they universe. Are the American version of like uh, Hogwarts is in uh, the UK, and mm-hmm. I don't remember how to pronounce the American version, but it's like a Native American thing. But uh, Puckwudgies are mm-hmm. a house in this in the Harry Potter one. Yes. I was like, uh, I need the actual, I was like Googling. I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that was neat. I was like, I, it's, are they real or no? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. Um, they can sometimes be helpful to humans, yada, yada. I already mentioned that. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go to a website to read a little bit more about them uh, because I found... Uh, them so interesting and fascinating and they deserve their own little moment for being creatures in folklore that are just so weird. Puck wedgies are magical little people of the forest in Algonquian folklore, similar to European gnomes or fairies. Puck wedgie stories are told throughout the northeastern United States, southeastern Canada, and the Great Lakes region. However, their nature varies in the folklore of different tribes. In the Ojibwe and other Great Lakes tribes, the Pukwudgie is considered a mischievous but basically good-natured creature who plays tricks on people but is not dangerous. In the Abenaki and other Northeast Algonquian tribes, a Pukwudgie can be dangerous but only to people who treat him with disrespect. In the Wampanoag and other tribes of Southern New England, Pukwudgies are capricious. Capricious? Capricious. Capricious? And dangerous little creatures who may... play harmless tricks or even help a human neighbor, but are just as likely to steal children or commit deadly acts of sabotage. Uh, according to some Wampanoag tribes or stories, um, Pugwudgies are were enemies of the culture hero Moshop. Moshop? And were even responsible for his death. Moshop, I looked into it, is a gentle giant who would fish whales out of the water for food okay. for the people. He's also in folklore, so you know, just little things. Um, Pukwudgies are usually described as being knee-high or even smaller. Their name literally means person of the wilderness, and they are usually considered to be the spirits of the forest. In some traditions, they have a sweet smell and are associated with flowers. Pukwudgies have magical powers which vary from tribe to tribe, but may include the ability to turn invisible, confuse people, make them forget things, shapeshift into cougars or other dangerous animals, or bring harm to people by staring at them. Interesting. Good good grief. I mean, I wouldn't know what to do if I saw one because I'm like, okay, what mood are you in? Because <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, no trouble here. Because, I mean, that's not scary. They could either just be like playing harmless little jokes or they could freaking mess you yeah. up just by staring at you. So, <clears throat> um, a woman named Joan, who's in the documentary, uh, She's featured in a book titled Dark Woods, and she was walking her dogs in free, her dog in Freetown State Forest when she claims that she saw one. And referring back to William Russo's earlier uh, story, when he saw that little hairy creature that said, me want mm-hmm. you or whatever, uh, that could have been a Pukwudgie, if, I mean, if you think about it. But it was in a different area. Like I said, it was in the Freetown State Forest for Joan, and then for in William's case, he was in a he was in the Hockamock Swamp. Hockamock. Interesting. Um, but he could have been just a hairy variation of a puck wedgie. Um, <clears throat> so guys, in two thousand eight, while filming a segment for a guy named Chris Balzanos, 
he had a book and a DVD coming out. And so they were filming for that. And it was called Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting. Um, an investigator named Maureen became possessed by a puck wedgie. Uh, does that happen? Girl, it was it was scary. Like, it looked real to me what happened. Because they were just filming like normal. And it's in the documentary, so you guys can go find this scene. It's towards the end. Um, and she all of a sudden starts acting weird and, like, chuckling and, like, mm. keeling over. And so the guys walk towards her and they're like, Maureen, are you okay? And they're like, hey, fight it, fight it. Like somebody automatically knew what was going to happen. And uh, in the footage, she appears to be confused and non-responsive to the team's questioning. She begins to chuckle and back up while keeling over. And you can hear hissing and growling coming from her as she struggles with two of the team members to the ground. And what, what was this on? Amazon Prime, oh, the documentary, Amazon. the Bridgewater Yes, it, but it was part of Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting. Okay, so she was fully possessed by the Pukwaji, and he starts, like, praying and saying, leave this body. And um, I didn't see the outcome of that. They only included the little bit of whenever she was, like, going, like, she started acting bizarrely and backed up, and then they, like, tackled her to the floor because she started kind of fighting back when they were holding her and trying to see what was going on. Um so then she starts hissing and growling and it sounds very unnatural. Like she was not making those sounds. Um, and uh, yeah, then she starts to kind of calm down, but you can tell like she was like fighting something. It was weird. That is really weird. For, and I mean, if it's a puck wedgie specifically weird, but also if it's just like a demon that's just in the forest, that's also weird. It's like whatever those um, cult yeah. people were mm-hmm. messing with maybe. So, uh, okay, and then also when they asked the entity to leave her body, whatever it was, a Pukwaji or what have you, um, apparently a crew member noticed a light leaving from their area in the distance as she came to. So, right? Or maybe it was the Pukwaji's light that he was like distracting with. Um, the ledge is another location in Freetown Forest with a reputation for ghost-related incidents. Spectators have witnessed a woman standing above them on the ledge, and as they turn away for a second and then up to her direction again, she's gone. Legend has it that a woman jumped to her death when her lover did not meet her there. <clears throat> Regardless if this legend is directly linked to that woman's story, people have seen her for sure. Jesus. And that's the final bit, but there, I did notice that the documentary didn't necessarily cover the Taunton State Hospital, so I have a little tidbit on that as well. I found it interesting because um, two popular or famous people were at that hospital while it was open. I think it was on the 13th floor website, yep. So... Built in 1854, it was originally called the State Lunatic Hospital of Taunton. Mm-hmm. Um, and according to this map that I'm going to be posting as a reference, it says visitors have reported feeling their shoulders touched and their legs touched, pulled, or no, visitors have reported feeling their shoulders touched and their legs pulled when entering the sections of the hospital allegedly used in the 1960s and 70s by satanic cults. So something yeah. still lingers there. Um, and the two people that I mentioned that had been there during its um, operating time periods are Lizzie Borden and Jane Topin. Topin? 
She's apparently a serial killer who is a sociopath. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never heard of her. Have you? Jane Jane Toppin. T-O-P-P-A-N. Interesting. Um, and this is according to AbandonedSpaces.com. And Lizzie Borden, of course, you know, everybody mm-hmm. knows her. So I thought that was interesting. And the Stonehill College, um, according to this map, says people reported hearing a little girl crying and laughing and footsteps in a gym built on the former site of a pool where the daughter of the school's president drowned. No, no, no. Right? What the hell? Scary. Yep. So that's that. That is the Bridgewater Triangle. Well, that was very interesting. I know. There's more stuff around. Massachusetts and, like I said, just the eastern United States just has so much history that you could find a haunting or some kind of strange occurrence happening Mm -hmm. just constantly. And like you said, things might be um, entering loopholes and coming into our dimension and stuff. Yeah, dude, that's exactly what I think. So which one of these um, entities or happenings would you rather, would you want to experience and which one would you want to experience the least? Like obviously on accident. The ones that I don't like are the road ones. Like I don't want that man popping up in my car and I don't want that demon truck driver to come after me. Mm -hmm. I would probably want to see from Far or like from a safe distance, like a puck wedgie, or maybe mm-hmm. not even that. That kind of looks a little scary. But um, right. or like a like the dog with the red eyes and the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just to see it and be like, wow, that's yeah. amazing. I don't know about. I wouldn't mind like the lights or the mist or anything because those aren't like terrifying or anything. Maybe the the mist would kind of freak me out, but. I would want to hear the True. noises, but I'm also a big ass chicken and I like instant anything scary starts to happen. I close my ears and my eyes. I can't. I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do Ooh. the noises, but it would be I would want to hear it, but I would not also at the same time. Right. And um, there's a forum. There's a this um this region has a lot of residents who are actively either have had sightings or experiences or they are seeking those experiences out. So there's forums and stuff. If you guys want to go look into this area a little bit more, because I covered as much as I could pack into this episode based on mostly just the documentary alone. So like I said, there's plenty more to look into. I just thought it was so bizarre and fascinating and I was very excited Mm -hmm. to cover this topic. Uh, So yeah, super spooky stuff. What if that Copacut Road uh, mad trucker was behind you and then he passed you and on the back of his license plate it said be eating you Ew, like from jeepers i would probably shit myself <laughs> exactly yeah, from i wouldn't jeepers. even i mm-mm, mm-mm. he's real no he's not real you know it's funny my i lived with my dad in dallas for a little bit and we would drive every weekend from dallas which was like six or seven hours away from del rio so we would drive there was parts of the road when we were getting closer to Del Rio that reminded me of the second Jeepers Creepers because they're like on a bus and shit. And one of the times we saw like three abandoned buses on this stretch of road. And I was like, 
holy shit, Jeepers Creepers is out again. It's been 23 years. Ew. It was freaky. <laughs> Yeah, it was really freaky. And I think the way the lighting was in that movie, like the sun looked like it was about to set for a good portion of that movie. And then it was like dark the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. That's what it, that's what it was mm-hmm. like at this point in time that we saw those buses and shit. So I was like, oh it was really fucking scary. I hate that I love that movie so much. It's scary, it's original, and the director is a pedophile, so that's great. Oh, no. Did you know about that? I did not. Uh, look into it. Ruin everything. Um, a lot of people boycotted part three. I didn't boycott it. I didn't it. know that. I didn't so. even watch the third one. I did, but it's not very memorable. I don't know why. I need to watch it again, maybe. But um, I hate supporting that director but uh, i hate that i ruined it for you in that case but yeah dude well the movie scares me anyways but i it used to not scare me as much as it does now i don't know what the fuck happened i don't know what happened i don't know either i'm still scared of school and i wasn't scared at the time but you know (laughs) which is so weird i really i've been having such vivid dreams of Still? being at school. Yeah, and lately more than ever because I considered going to the um, Pikes Peak Community College that's nearby to take a, mm. a zookeeping class. They have a very specific zookeeping course. Oh, cool. And it would it, even just taking the class would be so cool and so much fun. But I, as soon as I started like looking into the courses and everything, I started having nightmares again. Oh, Abby. <laughs> I know. It's annoying. I can't even... I was gonna have you heard all the hype about that movie The Tax Collector no but it is Shia LaBeouf in that yes and everyone there was like this big old hype about it it was gonna be so good and there's a lot of people that said it sucks and I wanted to buy it on um, Amazon Prime what's it about what's the buzz around that like why were people excited about it I don't know anything about the movie itself I just saw that it was under his or his name is under that film yeah it's supposed to be some – he's a – I mean, he's a white boy in the movie, but he grows up in, like, a barrio. Like, he's a cholo, basically. Mm-hmm. And so he becomes part of this Mexican – I guess they're Mexican, they're Hispanic family. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming he has to do some illegal shit in the movie. But, I'm, I mean, I'm not exactly sure. It sounds but, good. The premise sounds good. And, and – Go ahead. There was that whole controversy because they made him like nobody knew what the movie was about, but everyone shat themselves because he's white. Yeah, because he was white. Yeah. Yeah. And the director had to like come out and be like, he's not. Yeah. He's not playing, he's not trying to play. A Mexican, like he's playing a white boy playing a Mexican. Like, it what? is common, yeah. It is common whenever you grow up in communities to adopt, yeah, like, yeah, that life. makes sense. Well, it's in blood in, blood out, and True. American me, and mm-hmm. all Mexican movies. Good, good thing he clarified that. Yeah, it was just really sad that he had to do that. Like, he had to say what basically ruined the freaking movie. Yes, That's um, but apparently, it's not good. <laughs> Dang it. I want to watch it anyway because I love Shia yeah. LaBeouf. You need to watch Charlie Countryman if you can. I have. I watched it with you. <gasps> oh, my gosh. I watch it with everybody because I love that movie so much. Yeah, we watched it. Oh, good. 
I like that movie. Yeah. I don't cry. even remember. I don't remember what it's about. Anymore. His mom passes away, and she wants him to like take a risk, so he goes to like somewhere in the Ukraine. Remember, and it's like a whole. She watched it again. Abby, I've done. <laughs> what was I gonna say? Oh, and um, I was gonna quote it earlier, but it's to quote Bill Nye. Consider the following: the audience that it's geared towards is more likely to be upset about something like that maybe Ooh. about um shia labeouf cover or you know playing a certain role it just depends on who's upset you should like oh i don't yeah, know for i sure. forgot what and i was, it was on twitter so of course there's a bunch of fucking social justice fucking nazis on twitter, right so right exactly. they're ready to cancel everybody and every before they even give it a chance corner yeah then nobody i don't so it's a tired. film is an art it's not geared towards everybody but um yeah i'm gonna have to i'll check it out anyway because like i said i love shia labeouf <laughs> yeah i think i'm gonna watch it anyways just, just i also like shitty movies i'm not gonna lie true um and i started rewatching even stevens after i watched honey boy because oh my god i've been debating on watching honey Boy. you should i was I mean, crying it's about his life right yes and it hurt my yeah. feelings like it hurt my my feelings watching him his feelings get hurt as a kid oh. so it's one of those but it's also very insightful and um the actors did an amazing job the people that he chose to portray his older self and his younger self did a great job Oh, that's right, because he plays his dad, right? Yeah, and I, I hate that I forget his name every time, but the actor who's um, – you've seen Lady Bird, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. The one that she – it was her first boyfriend, but he ended up being gay. I don't remember what his name That was. actor, he came out in, like, mid-'90s. He came out in Honey Boy. He's a talented guy. I think he's also in that movie Waves, which I've been trying to check out. I've come to a point in my life where spoiling a movie – doesn't bother me because I'd rather spoil it and watch it and enjoy it anyway than avoid watching it because I'm scared of what kind of trauma it shows. Yeah. Like The Nightingale. Have you seen The Nightingale? No, but I have seen the, <sighs> You need to watch it. Shit for it. Yeah. You should watch it. And so I, I was happy whenever I got the – there's a website I think that's like, does the dog die in this movie? Have you seen that website? Yes, does the dog I, I use it all the time. Yeah, dude, there's it helps no me. fucking way. Yeah, there's. I can't oh, handle man. it anymore. I don't know what it's happened to me. Here. I'm a big softy. So dude, I started. I started watching Game of Thrones. Yes, I am. I fucking cannot believe it took me so long to get into that show. And like I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. No matter how many times I tried, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm, me and too. Then finally, I don't know what happened. I just started watching it, and now I can't stop. Yes. Good. That's now good. I can't stop. But like, animals die. Like people. I mean, just oh. I. I get so attached to everybody, and everybody just dies. <laughs> oh my oh, god! I know that's what I hate about that. So if you get so committed to that stuff, whenever you're yeah. invested like that, I haven't finished it. You started watching it too? But I barely did like season one, I feel like. Or maybe even a few episodes oh, of season one. I don't even remember how far I got. Yeah. That's right. We did talk about that. Um, but I do want to watch it because it's, it's still something to follow. And there's enough seasons to binge. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Okay. I like that. Ew, did it sound good? It did. It sounded very... Um... I don't know the fucking region. Never mind. Don't even. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. I used to watch uh, Skins and the uh, Misfits, and those are UK shows. And yes. And they say what the accents are, and one of them they say, and I was like, okay, I know what you're talking about now. You know, you know what you would love that I that I just you just started Game of Thrones. I started, and I'm putting off as long as I can finishing the last episode. Dairy Girls. Dairy oh, Girls. Oh my god. It is such a delightful show. And I don't use that word ever, but that's the mm-hmm. only way I can describe it because it is hilarious and their their slang and stuff. I just love it. I finally took uh Karen Kilgariff's advice from uh my favorite murder because she loves Dairy Girls. And I might even uh rewatch the whole show because I'm waiting for season two. I hope they make one because it is just so hysterically funny, relatable, and just delightful. You would like it. I've seen it on Netflix. It's on Netflix, right? Yeah. Did did you like it? Or no, I haven't seen. I think I tried to watch one episode, but I got distracted. Give it another go because it'll just lift your mood. It's hilarious. But um, I'm waiting on Handmaid's Tale, though, which is supposed to be coming this fall. I love it. Cried so hard that season finale. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think I finished this latest season. I don't think I, I think I got almost to the end and then I. I'm jealous of you because, wow, you're going to be happy. Because this whole time, you know, it's like she tries and then it doesn't end up going her way. But, oh, my gosh, it's finally starting to go her way. And I am just living. Oh, good. I do. The last thing I remember is her giving the baby to them, to somebody to take to the other side. Oh, my God. She was trying to stay so she can get her other daughter. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That was the last thing I remember. And I was like, bitch, really? Right? I was like, that was your moment. The ones that I remember now, it was, um, what the fuck's her name? Aunt Aunt Linda? Aunt Lydia? Yeah, Aunt Lydia. Oh, my God. Uh, It was her stories. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? I felt bad for Aunt Lydia. I, I feel not. bad. I, hate that bitch. I did. I could see the human side of her and how yeah, she yeah. fell into. Well, also with the commander's wife. I mean, I. It's very sad, but I mean, I could still see how she ended up that way. Even well, though I thought I was, I was gonna feel shit for her too. But whenever she took in that little boy and was judging the fuck out of his mom, I was like, mm. when was when she didn't I take him in? in. She didn't take him in, but she was like helping him. But like the mom goes over to pick him up, and she Aunt Lydia is like saying all kinds of shit to the mom. And I'm like, okay, oh, I- oh, oh, because okay, I think I know what you're talking about now. I was referring to the commander's wife at that time, so I thought you were talking about her. But Aunt Lydia, I know what you're talking about. She pretty I much feel bad for the commander's wife, not Aunt Lydia. <laughs> I feel bad for both. I don't know. It's weird, but it's. I mean, it's just. I like how it just shows different parts of like what women go through with their backgrounds and stuff like that. And then gives the backstory on yeah, how they came. Yeah. yeah. I really like the perspectives that they use and the, um, the cinematography is like strategically done in order mm-hmm. to make you feel like you're watching the main character. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but anyways, Handmaid's Tale still waiting on that. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't started any new podcasts or anything. I'm waiting until I start work again what when do you start working again so i had my informal interview last friday um and they're gonna call me back with my schedule and then i got a call yesterday from my old um location in texas and they told me that my um paperwork was sent to the wrong location so that's interesting 
It's like, it's, it was weird because they acted like they had everything whenever I went up there and it was fine and I loved them. They were super sweet. And um, yeah, so I don't know what that was about, but they're going to hopefully they'll communicate amongst each other and then she'll get back to me and I'll be either starting later this week or next week for sure. Next week by next week. Okay. So guys, hopefully you liked this episode. I enjoyed hearing about all these different details. But like I said, if you want more information on any of these locations, you can find them online and check out the Amazon Prime documentary, The Bridgewater Triangle, because it's really cool. Um, Make sure you find us on Instagram, find us on Twitter, and uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts if you can. And keep streaming these episodes because we love hearing back from you guys whenever you can relate to any of the stories. Thank you guys for listening to Give Me the Creeps. So, did we give you the creeps?